Dr. Isaac, dial zero. The Brent Community Healthcare System presents Hospital Insider, the podcast. Your host is Gary Chalk, the retired director of public affairs for the Brandt Community Healthcare System, a newspaper columnist, and former radio broadcaster. The podcast features conversations with members of the medical staff, the caregivers, volunteers, the leadership team, and donors of the Brantford General Hospital and the Willett Hospital in Paris. Listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, will inform and educate you about hospital care. So please share this podcast with your family and friends and encourage them to subscribe as well. Remember, if it has to do with hospital care in Brantford, Paris, and throughout Brant County, we will talk about it on Hospital Insider, the podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 15 of the podcast. Gary Trock here. And we continue in the midst of the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic. Changes are beginning to, to be made ever so slowly, particularly in, uh, in Ontario, in part because of the cooperation of everyone doing things like wearing masks and self-isolating, practicing social distancing. And all this has led to help to flatten the curve. So today's podcast, we're taking a behind-the-scenes look at COVID-19 at the Brantford General and Willett Hospitals, but this time from the perspective of the physicians. My two guests today, Dr. Laura Schutz, an emergency physician, the Brantford General, and Dr. Rudy Gold, Chief of Hospital-Based Medicine at the BGH. Along with their day-to-day work as physicians, they both have leadership positions with the Medical Staff Association of the Brant Community Healthcare System. And Rudy and Laura have been on the front lines of the pandemic from the planning stages beginning early this year and through the past three months now and counting. Dr. Schutz is the president of the Medical Staff Association, while Dr. Gold is the vice president. And we're practicing some social distancing, so Laura and Rudy and myself and Brandon, our producer, we're all working on our phones from our homes. Dr. Schutz, welcome back. Your second appearance on the podcast. You're becoming an old pro. <laughs> Thanks so much, Gary. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. And Rudy Gold, uh, this is also your second time. You're, you're going to have a second career if you ever want to do something else outside of medicine. That's right. I, I, that's great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. This is an important conversation. I think the listeners and the residents throughout our area can really get a, a perspective of uh, planning for a pandemic and then what's happening on the front lines. And uh, to talk about it, let's start with Laura, who is the president of the Medical Staff Association. Laura, uh, who belongs? What, what what really is the purpose of the Medical Staff Association? Sure. So um, the Medical Staff Association is essentially um, a a body that represents all of the medical staff at the hospital, medical staff being every single physician. So from ER, radiology, laboratory, surgeons, anesthetists, you name it, um, to including people like dentists and midwives. Um, So there's probably over 300 members um, or about 300 members that are medical staff at the hospital. And as medical staff executive, we sort of liaison are uh, the body that represents uh, physicians and staff between hospital administration and and back down to its members. So we sort of act as um, liaisons and representatives of all of these people. Dr. Gohl, you're the uh, the vice president of the Medical Staff Association. You're also the chief of hospital-based medicine. And I know we talked about this on an earlier episode, but for the purposes of people who perhaps haven't heard that uh, episode, so they understand your, your practice of medicine in this uh, episode, what is hospital-based medicine? 
Yeah, so hospital-based medicine is the term that we use at BCHS to describe a variety of physician groups within the hospital. So it includes our hospitalist group, it includes our palliative care group, our geriatrics group, and it also includes the family practice uh, courtesy service for the family physicians in the community who still have um, hospital privileges. So as far as the hospitalists, that's our biggest group of physicians um, within my department, and it represents physicians who look after inpatients, that's patients admitted to hospital for a variety of medical concerns. Uh, who are not admitted to the intensive care unit and are not admitted for surgical reasons. So one way to think of us is sort of like uh, your family physician within the hospital. And as hospitalists, there's what, maybe 20, 25 or so of you? Yeah, our group is about 35 physicians, and we have 10 doctors working every day, rounding on patients, and we have uh, six physicians working every weekend, uh, rounding on patients. So it is obviously a significant uh, department within the organization. Let's go back now. It's 2019, late in 2019, and into the first few months of 2020, media reports are more constantly reporting about a, uh, a serious, a growing, a deadly virus in China. It became a pandemic. Dr. Schutz, I'm sure like all of us, you are aware of the reports and following it perhaps on the media. As an emergency physician, you probably paid some attention to it, but let's go back to your medical school days. As a physician at medical school, ever have any courses on pandemics? That's an interesting question. Um, to be honest with you, not that I remember, no. Um, I'm sure at some stage of the game, there was maybe, you know, one PowerPoint talk that sort of touched on um, pandemics uh, when we had talks about things like epidemics and outbreaks. Uh, but there was never any formal training on what you do uh, in the setting of a pandemic, at least in medical school. It may be that some physicians in their residencies and their um, more professional training had uh, touched on this, but certainly not uh, not for me, not in in medical school. Now, when you arrive at the Brantford General in the emergency department, uh, you become aware of, of a hospital, Code Orange, which is a mass casualty response. That's, I guess, your introduction more on, a, on a, uh, uh, an official basis to, to pandemic planning? Yeah, that's right. So with my ER doctor hat on, we do get some training and have um, plenty of discussions around mass, mass casualty situations, which would be the closest thing to a pandemic. And so um, we, even throughout my residency, there's um, discussions about code orange and how, and how you manage um, code orange situations. I've involved in um, one or two of them myself. Um, and so, so that would be, as an ER physician, sort of the closest thing to a pandemic, it's thinking about the mass casualty scenario, you know, the bus, major bus accident or right. earthquakes in some places, something like that. It could bring you, you know, massive amounts of casualties in a very short amount of time. So, Dr. Gold, same question for you, not a trained emergency physician, but rather over into hospitalist care. Any training in your background for a pandemic? No. So I would agree with Dr. Schutz. Uh, you know, in my medical school training, I don't really recall any sort of formal training in the management or planning for pandemics 
uh, during my courses. We, we, I think we reviewed some case studies. SARS comes to mind as one particular case study that we had reviewed, but there was no real discussion around the issues that we have had to grapple with, like PPE utilization and stewardship uh, considerations around allocation of resources like ventilators and hospital beds if the health system were to become overwhelmed, which which has happened in, in other parts of the world. Um, and some of these really, you know, technical things that have come up, like how the virus is spread and the infection control standards that come along with that, uh, the need for certain kinds of rooms and, and airflow in those rooms to deal with procedures. Um, I would say, like, we did not really receive much formal training, but it has been certainly a great learning opportunity as far as uh, picking up these things as, we, as we've gone along. And, and we certainly have some expertise locally and regionally. To, to help us with that. So I guess from a pandemic planning perspective for physicians, it's medicine meets senior leadership. <laughs> Away you go. For the purpose That's of our correct. conversation today, let's divide, um, divide it into two parts. The all-important preparation, the planning takes place before the arrival of COVID-19. And then the second part, treating and caring for patients during the pandemic. The first part, it's early 2020, the virus is growing, its footprint has now become worldwide. Preparation and planning begins in hospitals across Canada. Locally, senior leadership of the Brant Community Healthcare System launches its pandemic planning. Laura, describe the process and how you and Rudy became involved in the meetings that were being organized. Sure. Um, so you may have heard the term plandemic before, and uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty accurate, to be honest with you, because there was a multitude of meetings. Um, Rudy can speak more to this, uh, if you like, but he and uh, Dr. Andrea Unger were hired um, to play physician lead roles at the hospital. So they took on um, sort of the role as COVID lead um, from a physician standpoint. And then there was um, every single department in the hospital, um, I am sure had local physician leaders that were planning for departmental specific aspects of how COVID would impact them. So putting my ER physician hat on, um, our chief, Andrea Unger, uh, one of the first things she did was strike our ER COVID committee, which consisted of five physicians. So Andrea was sort of the lead. And then myself, Dr. Aaron Wynn, Dr. Melissa Snyder, and Dr. Jody McQueen, um, who all really put in a lot of legwork to um, come up with all of the policies and procedures to keep staff, patients, and our community safe. Um, and I'm happy to go into more details if you want to. Um, well, why don't we just uh, set that aside for a second, because I want to get over to Rudy to get the same same perspective from Rudy. While Laura and um, Dr. Unger and a number of the physicians from the ER have struck their subcommittee, what subcommittee or subcommittees are you pulling together and to do what, Rudy? Yeah, absolutely. So similar to the emergency department, the Department of Hospital-Based Medicine also created a, a hospitalist COVID-19 committee, and that was comprised of myself, Dr. Britta Laszlo, and Dr. Lawrence Batmazian. And um, we were basically picking up on the work that was uh, being done as the patients flowed through the eMERGE into the hospital. And so we developed some standardized uh, documents to support admission for these patients in an evidence-based fashion. 
We worked on some orientation manuals for physicians who would perhaps be asked to look after COVID patients and didn't have significant experience with that. And we also looked at some some documentation around safe discharge planning for COVID patients. And we were the committee was the liaison for our physicians on the inpatient side uh, to ensure that we were practicing with the best available evidence, understanding that things were sort of shifting on a day-to-day basis. So both of you are working on these subcommittees in addition to doing your regular practice of medicine in the hospital, but at the same time there are structural changes and flow changes that are being considered and are going to be readied. For instance, negative pressure rooms in both the intensive care unit and the emergency room. Changes to how patients and staff enter the hospital. Are physicians involved, Rudy, with that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the physicians were involved pretty much from day one, I would say. And, and I think that is a real credit to our senior leadership team who, who really made a point of engaging the physicians uh, early on. And uh, Dr. Unger, Andrea, and myself, we were, uh, as Laura says, we were two of the COVID leads within the hospital. Uh, but it was, you know, a coordinated response across all departments. All the medical chiefs were involved. The heads of service were involved. And all of the non-physician leadership was also participating actively in, in all of this planning, and that was across the board, you know, physicians, nurses, allied health, clinical engineering, environmental services, everybody pitched in. And, and to that end, I was, I was really impressed with the team's willingness to work together in the interest of protecting our patients and community. And I think it was really a, just a phenomenal example of teamwork and what we can achieve when we work together. Uh, and, and, you know, we were, we were doing great work on that prior to the pandemic, but I think it was really a great example of uh, when we have that common goal and the urgency of, of doing this work because there is this urgent concern, uh, what we can accomplish. So, so yeah, the physicians were involved and, and, and everybody, you know, every other department in the hospital was, was really working, working together on this, on this issue. Sounds like a perfect example of all hands on deck. Laura, let's come back to your ER subcommittee. You mentioned there are five, uh, various ER doctors, uh, um, Dr. Unger, the chief, Dr. Schneider, Dr. McQueen, Dr. Winning, yourself. You all took a, a particular aspect. Can you describe what you were doing? Sure. Um, so for myself specifically, um, I sort of took on the role um, dealing with our swabbing algorithms was one of my main contributions. So the evidence was, and the uh, updates from the province were happening daily sometimes multiple times a day we're getting multiple emails but on you know who qualifies for getting swabbed what the symptoms are of the virus um and so my role was to sort of liaise and uh try to make sure that what we were doing in our assessment center where people can come from the community to get swabbed what we're doing in our er what public health is saying what the community physicians are saying is all sort of the same thing and uh, creating an algorithm that easily guides everybody uh, through all of the advice that's coming out and constantly changing. Um, so that, that was one of my big roles was sort of sitting on committees with family physicians, liaising with um, our infectious disease expert, Dr. Sockage and public health and, and making sure that uh, we were all on the same page and everybody was getting communicated the, or communicating the same message. Okay, so then let's go over to Dr. Snyder. Yeah, so Dr. Snyder played a huge role in all of our um, oxygen therapies and airway techniques. Um, so COVID is a virus, obviously it's a new virus, and there's a lot of concern about how it's spread. 
and there's something called an aerosol generating procedure, uh, which is a procedure that can cause the virus to go airborne and uh, potentially be spread through the air instead of just being spread by droplets, like, you know, you cough some spit and it sprays on you, it can actually float in the air. And so people could breathe it in potentially. And you can imagine how dangerous this could be for people in the hospital if the virus gets floating in down a hallway to somebody that's not uh, wearing proper personal protective equipment. So Dr. Snyder was reading tons and tons and tons of papers and liaising with other hospitals regionally and uh, nationally to come up with guidelines for how we can safely do these procedures, how much oxygen we can use before the virus gets aerosolized, for example, what happens when we intubate patients, so put breathing tubes in their throats and, and who needs to be in the room and, and how we're going to do this. It has to be done in a negative pressure room, um, which we can talk about more if you want to, but where essentially all of the air is being sucked out of the room constantly um, to, to minimize this risk uh, of, of infecting healthcare workers other patients um, in the hospital and it just really changed how we do emergency medicine and how we um, treat really sick people so there's a lot of planning and thinking that had to go into mm -hmm. that so her, her role was working really hard on all of those policies and procedures and and disseminate them them throughout and, the hospital and dr mcqueen what role there so her role um, at the start of the pandemic was there's so much information coming in, like I said, every single day. Um, she was our communication expert that would send out to ER physicians a summary of all of the work that the committee members were doing every day and, and the updates from around the world and locally in terms of how many cases there are. Um, here's some new evidence that's coming out. Here's things you should watch for. Here's the update to our, our swabbing algorithm, to our intubation guidelines. Um, she would succinctly and systematically communicate this so physicians every single day had an update to know what's new today and what do they need to know. And she would field all of the questions too, because you can imagine that we're all learning together and we're all reading all kinds of things from various resources. So she was like our, our central hub to sort of um, push things forward and receive things back from physicians to again make sure that we were all on the same page. And then she actually went into a different role doing simulation with Dr. Uh, Wynn. Uh, the hospital sort of decided that um, this was extremely important to uh, educate not just ER physicians, but actually everybody in the hospital, all of the nurses, physicians on other floors on how to safely run these what we call protected code blues where patients who are really sick and could uh, require procedures that will generate aerosols are done in a negative pressure room and all of the challenges uh, with equipment and communication and all of the things that happen with that so that we could uh, use some mannequins and actually practice these really complicated situations. Um, so she's playing a ma massive role in, in training everybody in the hospital on how to do these things safely. All of a sudden, Dr. Wynn seems to be more of a, uh, a physician throughout the hospital than the emergency room. And all of this comes under the leadership of your chief of ER, Andrea Unger. She must have uh, really been a good motivator for you all. Yeah, absolutely. So she had a, an, a huge role throughout this pandemic as somebody that was representing, you know, physicians at the hospital, but also representing uh, and liaising with all of this work that the ER committee uh, was doing. So I, I think she was working a minimum of 12 hours every single day for many months. She she was a, a COVID hero for Brantford for sure. Yeah. Dr. Gould, all this planning taking place, we've just heard what the ER subcommittee was doing. There were subcommittees 
throughout the entire hospital representing so many of the disciplines of the programs and services. But every one of those groups are somewhat dependent on sharing information and learning from the others. But at the same time, everybody's got either a blank piece of paper to start with or different levels of information on that piece of paper, and it's constantly changing. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, I think, one of the real challenges, especially at the, in the early stages of the pandemic, was we, we really just didn't have a good sense of what to expect. I mean, we were planning for the worst because we were seeing what was happening in other parts of the world, but we weren't sure, you know, how hard we were going to be hit or uh, what resources that we would have available. So the, I think the, the key to our early planning was to facilitate communication as much as possible and to try and make sure that all of our team members were on the same page. So we were having daily meetings in the mornings with all of our senior leadership team that included the executive, the medical directors, our clinical directors, and a number of other people. Sometimes those meetings were twice a day. Um, and then each of the uh, department heads or the chiefs or the medical directors would have their own departmental meetings, sometimes on a daily or twice daily or even more than that basis uh, to, to communicate and then bring all the information back to the common table where everybody was sitting. But as far as coordinating all that, it was certainly our our biggest challenge. And it, and it remains a challenge because there's still a lot about this virus that we don't understand and have yet to understand. But I think establishing that communication and that transparency early was was very important for us. And while all of this is going on inside the hospital, through the media, residents all across Canada and around the world for that matter, but locally, everyone is, is concerned and they're starting to wonder how bad COVID-19 is going to become locally. It's now about what, mid-March 2020, and it's crunch time for hospitals, planning, preparations, structural changes, new policies, procedures. They now need to be put to the test as COVID-19 has arrived. Let's take a, a brief break before we resume our conversation with Dr. Schutz and Dr. Goal. This is Hospital Insider, the podcast. We'll return shortly. If you aren't feeling well and you know it's not an emergency, consider going to the Urgent Care Center at the Willett Hospital in Paris, a member of the Brandt Community Healthcare System. Perhaps you twisted your back playing with your grandkids, or you've had a bad cough for a few days and now your ears ache. Or what's that rash on your child's stomach? If it is not an emergency, consider going to the Willett Urgent Care Center. You will be treated by compassionate physicians and nurses trained to deliver rapid expert care. And with x-rays and blood work provided right on site, the Willett Urgent Care Center is one-stop care. The Willett Urgent Care Center, open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. weekdays, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. weekends. For the approximate wait time, you can check online at bchsys.org. The Willett Urgent Care Center in Paris, when it's not an emergency, can be just what the doctor ordered. Welcome back to the Hospital Inside of the Podcast. Gary Trock here. We're discussing COVID-19 around the world, but most importantly, right here in Brantford. Dr. Laura Schutz, an emergency physician of the Brantford General. Dr. Rudy Gold, Chief of Hospital-Based Medicine. Uh, they are both in the leadership positions with the Medical Staff Association. Uh, Dr. Schutz is the president. Dr. Gold is the vice president. 
So in our discussion, we've worked our way through now to about mid-March, COVID-19 is here. And together with the senior leadership team and all the staff, months of work now needs to be launched. Just before we talk about the launch, Dr. Schutz, I understand Dr. Wynn was involved with a COVID care center. Can you explain what, what that was about? Yeah, so Dr. Wynn did an incredible amount of work um, to plan for it was something that sort of mimicked the fever clinics in Wuhan. So when we're doing all this reading about surges of COVID patients, uh, a lot of it has to do with capacity and how you're going to safely um, treat and see this many patients. So his role was to set up this center who that would sort of act like a, a Wuhan fever clinic where we could keep uh, respiratory patients separated from those presenting with non-respiratory complaints. So in, in layman's term, it was basically like we set up a second ER within our hospital. And so we completely turned actually an old auditorium um, into an area that uh, could see patients and they would be directed there um, right from, from triage uh, or outside the hospital even. And they had a whole series of um, steps that they would go through in order to land in this COVID assessment center where they would be seen by this physician. And he had set up, you know, partitions between patients, had them set up a certain number of space away, uh, arranged and facilitated all of the a huge team to, to put this together. So there was portable x-rays, there was laceration kits if people happened to have respiratory symptoms but also needed something sewed up, for example. And you can just imagine all the planning and equipment necessary in order to set up basically a second little ER uh, within our hospital. Again, all with trying to, to keep people safe. And all part of the planning underway to help, as you say, keep everyone safe. Uh, Dr. Goal, care plans had to be developed for all these inpatients that you're responsible along with the hospitalists. That was quite a task. Absolutely. So we were, again, planning for a significant surge of COVID patients, and we needed to implement a comprehensive care plan for these patients who required admission to hospitals. So there were two sort of parts to that. One was for patients who were very ill and required intensive care. And the other part of, of that would be patients who were ill, but not quite sick enough to need intensive care, but needed to be admitted to a ward bed. So for the patients who required admission to a ward bed, we were basing our planning off the principle that COVID patients should be located in as few areas within the hospital as possible. This is something that we learned from our colleagues in other parts of the world who were impacted by COVID before we were, and really was done to limit the, uh, the possibility of spread throughout the hospital, to limit our healthcare worker exposure, to consolidate our expertise in COVID care within as few places as, as we could, and to conserve uh, personal protective equipment as much as, as much as we could. So this, presented some unique challenges in that we needed to account for patients who were both COVID positive and for patients who had come in with COVID symptoms, but we didn't know if they had COVID yet or not. So, so let's say a patient comes into the emergency department with shortness of breath and fever, they're not on, uh, they're not well enough to go home so they need to come in but we don't know at this point if they have COVID or if they don't. So we, we do a swab and then in the time that it takes for that swab to come back, under the assumption that this person, this patient may have COVID, we're not able to put that patient in a room with any other patients because if they do end up having COVID, there is a risk of them spreading that virus to the other patients. 
So for that reason, until those patients have a swab come back, they have to be admitted under isolation precautions in private rooms. The challenge that we have is that our physical infrastructure is a bit older and we don't actually have any private rooms within our adult medicine program. So in order to admit those patients safely, we have to admit them into rooms that have two, three or four beds. And the rest of the beds in those rooms have to be blocked off, which means that we can't admit any more patients into those beds. Now, when we're operating at a capacity of over 100% in usual times, that certainly becomes quite challenging because now we're taking beds out of circulation, so to speak. So, so that was one of our significant challenges when it came to planning for the inpatient COVID care. Um, and we, we were able to work together and, and come up with some innovative ideas to mitigate those concerns. And through that planning and, and through collaboration with a number of groups, we designated one of our medical wards, which is B6 as our COVID unit. And that is the unit to which all patients who have confirmed or suspected COVID are admitted under the precautions that are necessary. And then we've also designated, uh, or we had planned to designate a number of other areas within the hospital for COVID rehab, uh, for COVID palliative care. And then of course, our intensive care unit for those patients who required that level of care. Uh, we had plans um, for the existing ICU beds. And then on top of all of this, we also had a plan for surge, uh, you know, a significant volume of surge, and that was to open our day surgery unit, which is not a place where we typically admit patients, but we would have opened that unit along with our uh, uh, post-anesthetic care unit, which is the recovery area after surgery, and that would have been our second ICU. So we, we basically had a plan to add significant capacity if we required it for a significant surge of COVID patients. Looking even further beyond that, we had also began plans on surging even beyond the walls of the hospital into the community if, if that had become necessary because we were seeing that happening in other places. Uh, so those plans were also uh, developed. So we, we've been fortunate in that we haven't required the surge plans as of yet, but they do remain ready uh, in case that, that does happen in the future. Now we're in our discussion, we've worked our way through the mid-March. COVID-19, it's here officially together with the senior leadership team and all the staff, months of work is ready to be launched. Dr. Schutz, how did you feel? The members of the Brant Community Healthcare System Medical Staff Association, were they ready? Yeah, so I think our hospital did an incredible job planning for this pandemic. Um, I think a lot of our work was really ramped up in March. And I, I remember there was a day, and I can't remember the exact date, but where, you know, we'd been having these senior leadership meetings every single morning with all the chiefs, all the, you know, the CEO, the senior executives. Um, and I remember a day where we all felt like we feel ready we feel prepared and we feel confident in all the work that we've done and i feel like we we are we're able to accomplish so much because of the tight-knit community we have at bchs that uh, i think we, we were probably even ahead of some of our tertiary centers and larger hospitals in our planning and we all were were feeling very good and you know not wanting a surge to come but i think we all had the same sort of moment where we were taking a breath feeling like okay you know the stress is still there but we're feeling more ready and much more prepared at the time we're recording this podcast it's uh, three plus months into covid 19 here in canada 
and counting. One thing we've learned is that a pandemic is very fluid. Things change frequently. It can be frustrating for everyone, the public, the hospital, staff, physicians. Laura, how's everyone faring at the organization these days? Yeah, I think um, life is much less stressful now than it was certainly at the start of this. Um, I think, you know, Rudy did an excellent job describing all of the intense amount of planning that's uh, gone in place, and that planning hasn't gone anywhere. So it's we're, we're all prepared um, in the case that we do see a, a surge of COVID patients. Um, and I think the hospital has done an, an incredible job from, you know, the ground up with every single person within the walls contributing to uh, the, the planning that's happening. And I, and I think that uh, we feel ready if a surge were to take place, but we definitely rely on the community as actually the first line of defense in terms of doing all the things like social distancing, wearing masks and um, staying safe and healthy and washing their hands uh, in the community to, to keep us confident. That's a good point. I read somewhere, and I guess it goes back to what you said, uh, Dr. Schutz, about uh, pandemic or plandemic. Uh, Rudy, what have we learned from COVID-19 so far? So, yeah, I mean, I think there have been so many lessons. I, I think first and foremost, as I had said earlier, I think that we have really learned what we can accomplish when we work together as a team. And, and it's something that we, again, we're doing a great job of before, but, but this has been an example of, you know, when we have a common goal and we have the, and, and that common goal really is to protect our patients and our community, um, we, we can accomplish so much and it was really it really was like a matter of weeks that we that we did all of this because because we had to right and and i think that um some of the things that we have done some of the relationships that have been built some of this collaboration is not going to stop when this pandemic is over it's going to carry forward and it's going to enable us to continue to provide excellent care for our patients um, I think it's also been a lesson in preparedness for sure. You know, uh, I think that prior to this pandemic, there, there perhaps wasn't, um, you know, it, I would say that it caught everybody off guard, not just our hospital, but across the province and across the country. So I think that we are uh, a bit more prepared if, if and when this happens again. Um, and, and I think also it's been a, it's been a great uh, lesson in uh, engaging our physician group, you know, from the perspective of the vice president of the Medical Staff Association. Uh, I've seen incredible engagement and incredible collaboration and incredible leadership from, from so many physicians. And it's, it's, it, we've, we've been working together in ways that we weren't before. You know, one example is... Um, when we were planning for our COVID war down in the day surgery unit, uh, we would, uh, we were planning along the lines that we would be needing some physicians who didn't, who don't typically look after medical patients to come in and, and help us out because we, we've seen that happen in other places where physicians get sick and we run out of, uh, we just run out of people. So I went to our chief of surgery, uh, Dr. Dave Downey, and I spoke with him about, you know, if this were to happen, we may need to have you guys come and, and help us out and uh, and that's something that we've never done before and it's something that we, we usually wouldn't do because it's entirely out of their scope of practice and you know i was like i'm not sure how this is going to go over but across the board you know dave downey uh, his whole group all of the surgeons there was no hesitation whatsoever they said 
immediately, you know, we will step up, we will be there, we'll do whatever needs to be done so that the patients get the care that they need. And, and that was, and that was really impressive. And I think it's a great example of, of that collaboration. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just the surgeons, it was a number of different physician groups, but uh, I think this has been a real lesson in, in how we can, how the physicians can be engaged and, uh, and work together that way. We've talked a lot about the planning for this, and there's a great quote that says, everything we do before a pandemic will seem alarmist, but everything we do after a pandemic will seem inadequate. And I think this is really rang true for me, um, where, you know, sometimes shutting down the entire country, shutting down borders, restricting visitors at hospitals, all of the things we have to do that are very challenging at the time, um, they, they were put in place for a reason. And so while it does seem alarmist, it's all to, to save lives. I think it's important, too, that uh, listeners to the podcast, non-medical people, the residents of our community and around uh, around the area, it shows the, the strength, the organization, the uh, let's let's get the job done um, that uh, the, the members, all the physicians, the 300 plus that belong to the Medical Staff Association of the Brant Community Healthcare System. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Brantford and Brant County served quite well. Death rate has been quite low. Uh, to those families uh, who have had members uh, pass away, we extend our, our condolences. Uh, Dr. Schutz and Dr. Gould, please extend everyone's appreciation and thanks to all the physicians and the Medical Staff Association of the Brantford General and the Willett Hospitals. They've done a tremendous job. They continue to do incredible work in protecting and caring for us throughout this pandemic. Thank you very kindly. Thanks, Gary. Okay, thank okay. you, Gary. This concludes episode 15 of Hospital Insider, the podcast. It's available everywhere podcasts are found, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I'd like to thank everyone for your comments and recommending and sharing the podcast to your friends to help them learn more and keep up with the stories of the people of the Brant Community Healthcare System. I'll be back in two weeks' time, another episode. In the meantime, please stay well so you can do good. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, a presentation of the Brandt Community Healthcare System. Hospital Insider, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting forum. Please press subscribe, and you will always be up to date with Hospital Insider, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please pass it along to your friends. Encourage them to subscribe as well. It's appreciated. In two weeks, we'll return with a new episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast with Gary Chalk. Thank you for listening. I'm Sandy Bishop.